This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, Darnell Nurse, contract extension, eight years, 74 million bucks. Cap hit will be 9.25. It starts next fall. So he plays the final year of his current contract. The extension kicks in for the season that starts in the fall of 2022. Gold for the Canadian women's soccer team. We'll dive deeper into that between 7.30 and 8 with a couple of players who uh, or a couple of former players from the Canadian women's national team, Rianne Wilkinson and Edmonton's Janine Helen. They'll have some uh, awesome perspective. Blue Jays in action tonight. It uh, got busy in the fifth inning. Jays are still batting in the bottom of the fifth. They've scored seven times to lead the Red Sox 7-2. And the Elks play tomorrow. It's on 6.30, Chet. Countdown to kickoff at 6. The game is at 8. Morley Scott with the play-by-play analysis from Blake Dermott and Eddie Steele. Sideline reporting from Brendan Escott and color commentary from this man who's also the producer of Inside Sports, Dave Campbell. Dave, how are you doing? Uh, it's like Christmas Eve, although this was a pretty rough Christmas Eve at, at points today. Uh, yeah, it's exciting, man. It's just uh, it's getting closer, and uh, I think the butterflies are starting to fly. Uh, within this uh, within this uh, individual you're uh, you're speaking with right now. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm glad you guys are getting back to to having games. I, I mean, uh, it was obviously it sucked, quite frankly, not to have a season yeah. last year. So uh, back to work, and but there is a story beyond what's going to happen on the football field. I, I've sort of given some updates. I know the Elks put out something a few minutes ago. I gave the Coles notes on that. Could you kind of take us? through today and now where we're at when it comes to this COVID situation with the Elks? Yes, indeed. So it was around, I want to say about 9.30, 10 o'clock, somewhere in that range. Uh, we get a we get a notice from the Elks saying that they're walked through and their uh, media availability at Commonwealth Stadium has been cancelled because of COVID-19 protocol. So that meant that uh, there was something uh, you know, some concerns with the testing that was done the day before on Thursday. And they would have to issue PCR tests, which is the rapid testing again. So then they uh, released another uh, update not too long after, about, uh, I'd say about quarter to 11, saying that they felt that uh, things were progressing well. They were still planning on playing Ottawa tomorrow. And it didn't look like there would be any threat to the game they were still planning on playing it and then uh, later on in the afternoon we find out that uh, brian walker who was listed on the team's depth chart they did release a depth chart and and uh, roster and brian walker was listed as the starting sam linebacker and then it was determined on the uh, or it was uh, revealed on the today's injury report 
that uh, Walker was out with an illness. Now, he practiced full all week, and today he's out with an illness. So, naturally, your spidey senses start to tingle, and you're thinking, okay, is this a COVID case? And, in fact, it is. So, he is uh, on in COVID-19 protocol. He did test positive. And then, at that point, he was the only one. Then we find out about uh, not even, what, 45 minutes ago, half hour ago, somewhere in that range. The Elks announce... They will play tomorrow, but they also announced there is a second player. We don't know who that player is. We, I can tell you he is not on the active roster. So, you know, that's, that's, they don't need to make another change um, to their, to their active. Uh, and there is no concern beyond the two that have tested positive of any transmission. So the game is a go for tomorrow. And, and is there not a uh, non-playing personnel uh, that had a positive test as well? Uh, yes, the staff member. That's right. So uh, I believe okay. they were sent home and then tested again, and then it was confirmed positive. So yes, a, a staff member is uh, is also among the group that 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 has tested positive. So that's three that's three people: a staff member and two players. Okay, so it's because because you, you're saying Walker and this other player have tested positive for COVID? Because you know how the NHL had the COVID protocol, but it didn't necessarily mean you tested positive for COVID. You could have you could have been a close contact or mm-hmm. like with Pooley-Arvey and Koskinen, there could have been a, a concern, but then, you know, Pooley-Arvey got to fly back the the, the next day because it, it was a false positive. But you're saying in the CFL, we know these guys actually have COVID. Yeah. Now they're going to be tested. Like they were tested again. And we don't know the full results of that yet. The full results. We do know right now it's two and there are results that are coming back. And so far there's, there's, there isn't a positive result except beyond the two and I guess three, because mentioned the staff members. So, um, so they're getting the results back. I think the, the, the full result should be known likely tonight, maybe tomorrow morning, but likely tonight. But, I believe uh, I believe this means that they are getting test results back and they're coming back negative and they're going to be because remember there's a lot of thresholds for the league to trigger their their COVID protocols to cancel a game and I know they're going to you know they're going to try and reschedule a game if there's a COVID outbreak within a CFL team but 36 is the minimum amount of players that you can play with I can tell you Reed they're way above that they're way above that so there that's why there's no concern that this game is isn't going to get played tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. If you have 36 players and what, what do you need? At least three coaches. You need a head coach, an offensive coach and a defensive coach. That's correct. Or just yeah. two and, coaches. And worst case. Anyway, yeah. I guess special teams too. You would like to have a special teams coordinator, but I guess you could. Ultimately but in, the, up, in the rules they, they put out, they said that there has to be a coach for each unit, I suppose. So that okay. is true. Yeah. All right. So th- they're saying the game's a go. We, we believe it's going to be a go. So that's all good. So let's let's discuss this game a little bit. We haven't seen the Elks play in a long time since November of 2019. Some players are back. Some former players are back. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing a, a new member of the team who has been in the CFL before, and that's James Wilder Jr., who really excites yeah. me at running back. You know. Going into camp, I said to myself and, and to others, and, and to you, I believe, as well, I don't know which version of James Wilder Jr. we're going to get. Now, we had him on the show about, what, a month, six weeks before camp, and he sounded very highly motivated, very excited to come back, very likable person, um, very giving person. 
and in camp and that's all we have Reed that's all we all we have is camp because there was no preseason games and starters usually don't play in them in those games anyway very much but that's all we have is training camp he looked really good he was the best running back of uh, of the group they brought in uh, it, in front of a uh, of an interior offensive lineman David Beard Matt O'Donnell and Jacob Ruby they were tremendous. They were tremendous in blowing holes open for James Wilder. I'm excited for him. We know what he did in 2017. In fact, he debuted against the Green and Gold in a game in September in Toronto in 2017 and just shredded the team that day. But, you know, the last couple of years hasn't been the best for uh, James Wilder. I'm just trying to just trying to find it here. Um Huh, huh, huh. Yeah, here it is. Two th- he has 2,220, sorry, 2,027 career rushing yards in his, in his, uh, in his CFL career. But vast majority of that came in one season, right? And it was, it was a half a season. It was an incredible season, but he has come to camp. He came to camp motivated. And I think it was consistent all throughout. And with an offense that I think has a lot of talent read, but I think in the past game, it's still going to be a bit of a work in progress. Uh, I think the run game can really help uh, in that area, just to kind of give the uh, give some comfort and give some time for the for the passing game to show up. Okay, uh, what do we know about the Ottawa Red Blacks? Well, if we anything. know the quarterback Matt Nichols very well. Right. <laughs> you know what? I was watching some of his tape from 2019 before he got hurt. He was tremendous. He might have been the best quarterback in the league at the time. I think Trevor Harris probably was the second, if not the best. If there was another quarterback that wasn't as good as Trevor Harris, or the next best was Matt Nichols. The thing with Matt Nichols, and by the way, he's won 12 of his last 14 starts, but that's with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know, Paul Apolise was the offensive coordinator there for four, four seasons. He's coming into Ottawa as the first-time head coach of that organization, you know, as a, as a head coach again for the first time in Ottawa. Uh, he's been a head coach before in Winnipeg. He's also the offensive coordinator. But I'm saying to myself, you know, Matt Nichols, I think, is a good leader, but he doesn't have Andrew Harris. He doesn't have Nick Dembski. He doesn't have Lucky Whitehead. He doesn't have Darvin Adams. There, there's a lot that he doesn't have. Now, he may have those elements within the Red Blacks, who I think on paper – might be the worst team in the CFL, but Matt Nichols is an excellent quarterback. I don't think he gets enough credit. I think his deep passing ability is very good. He knows Paul Apolise's system, but he's going to have to be, you know, that the, another coach on the field, which you are as a quarterback, but he's really going to have to coach up, uh, you know, the likes of running back Tim Flanders and, and uh, coach up these young receivers. Uh, RJ Harris is the most experienced receiver within the group. Uh, Nate Bahar is on that team. We know him very well from his time here in Edmonton. And, you know, they have Mark Corday, who was a guard in 2019. He's a center now. They still have Nolan McMillan. That's pretty good. But then they're going to have two starting offensive linemen that have never played before, and that's a concern for me. But Matt Nichols is very smart. He's very tough. Uh, and I think the the, the key to, to, to get to Matt Nichols is to make sure that you get pressure on him, especially the two interior uh, tackles on the D-line. I think it's up to Jake Ceresna and Mike Moore to really make his day difficult. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Betts and Boateng as well. That's, to, that's what yep. I'm excited about from the defense, for sure. The two Canadians. Because they're both going to – sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Speed to power. 
with both, especially with that speed to power. That That's yep. what you get out of both of those players. All right. Well, Dave, thanks for the update. It's, uh, it's going to be, we go, we're going, we're going. And we got a game coming up here on the tube, BC and Saskatchewan. And then tomorrow is what Toronto and Calgary. And then, and then our game, though, I know you guys are on the radio yep. while Toronto and Calgary are playing. So it's going to be fun, do, buddy. Thanks for checking in. Can we do something real quick here? Yes, I've of course. I always want to do this with you. You know, I always, I know you do it very well solo, but I want to do it. I want to do a duet. The Edmonton Elks play the Ottawa Red Blacks. <laughs> All right, that's, I'm, I'm flattered you wanted to share that with me, Dave. That was awesome. My career is complete. <laughs> that is Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports, our color analyst for our Elks broadcast here on six thirty, Chad, as they are ready to go for uh, tomorrow. Okay, I think uh, I think Fred was on the open line. Uh, just as Dave was starting. So, Fred, if you still want to call, we got time for you. 780-496-0063. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. We're back after the break. A couple weeks ago, we had Trent Brown. Double E alum from James H. Brown and Associates on the show. We'll be featuring him throughout the upcoming football season. 780-496-0063. Darnell Nurse, eight-year extension, 9.25 average annual value. Fred wants to discuss that on the Certainty Hotline. Hey, Fred, go ahead. Hey, Reed. Uh, wow, 9.25 million. I wasn't expecting that, to be honest. So you're going to tell me Darnell Nurse, Dougie Hamilton, and Seth Jones are making more money than Victor Hadman? That's yikes. I don't know. What do you think of that contract? I know they had to do it, but does it seem a little bit high to you? To me, it does, 9.25. Well, I, I didn't think he'd get over 9. I, I thought he might get 8 or 8.5. Eight so I was a, a little bit surprised when I saw it. Um, you know, I think if he would have signed for four or five years, what would have been the story tonight, Fred? What would people be calling in saying? Not most people, but the the negative Nellies. Well, that's it. It's over. They're all leaving together. Leon and Connor and Darnell, they all timed it so they can leave at the same time. They all hate it here. Well, now you got Nurse, Nugent Hopkins, and Hyman all locked up long term. Well, that was and, my next uh, point. Okay, you got them all signed long term, and uh, Dry Settles what another four years, and Connor's another five. Yep. Uh, maybe they'll re-up them when the time comes, and they'll have another three, four years together. Uh, there's more to it than you know the public knows, I'm sure. But I just thought it was just a little bit pricey. And now, what do you, is there's been talk now, it's all hearsay now, but Anton Kodobin, have you heard anything more on that? I, I, I saw that. Somebody shot that down, I thought. Oh, did they? Okay. I haven't heard anything credible about that. Well, why would frankly. Dallas pick up uh, Holtby when they got Kodobin? That doesn't make sense at all. Uh, maybe, and they got a young guy there, I can't remember his name, but he's supposed Audinger. to be hard. Yeah, he's supposed to be really good. I think Ben Bishop's done, but uh, I can't see Dallas getting rid of uh, Kadobin. But I guess, see, uh, Holland's doing what he's got to do. It's going to be up to the scouts now to find some good young hockey players that are on the league average because uh, we've got some pretty big contracts here, Reed. 
Well, they do. Uh, I mean, if they add somebody else this year, it's not gonna it's not gonna be for a lot of money. I, I mean, they're they're gonna have Clefbaum in long term injured reserve. Yamamoto will get something here, probably not a huge contract. And then I think as we move along here, like I said, they got Keith for two years. He'll come off the books after uh, a couple of years. Clefbaum may never play again, but eventually you won't even have to put him on LTIR. Um, you know, up front they're still paying Turris and Archibald this year. We'll see what happens with Turris. Archibald's obviously going to be on the team. Derek Ryan's here for a couple of years. But they've locked up a group of guys that they want to be here a long time. They just got to perform and they got to they got to have goaltending beyond whenever Mike Smith is finished. That's still going to be the big question mark, I think. That the forward group to me seems should be better than it's been in a while. Oh, should yeah. be deeper. Guaranteed in the D, I think uh, there's going to be some good value contracts still. Uh, there's some pretty good players sitting as time goes on. You know, they want to play somewhere. So I'm sure Holland's got a good plan. And you know what? Uh, in trust with Holland. And hey, the Duncan Keith fan club's alive and well, Reed. Well, I hope he does great. I, I, I really do. When I when I voiced my analysis of that trade, and some of it involved concerns, it wasn't uh, it wasn't because I, I'm not hoping he plays well. I just tried to give an overview of it for sure. Fred, yeah. thanks a lot for checking in. Take care, bud. Bye. That's Fred seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. As uh, I, I mean, again, it's August sixth. We'll see how they actually play once they get on the ice. Uh, I like the Hyman edition. I like the Fogel edition. I think we got to see how the defense score gels. I still think Mike Smith can play, and, and we'll see how Koskinen does. But I understand if you're talking three, four, five years down the road with the goaltending, you'd like to find somebody solid that can really hold down that position, which, again, is why I thought they should have drafted Jesper Wallstedt. But anyway, that's all history now. We're coming up to the 7.30 news. What's it like to see your friends and former teammates win gold? Rianne Wilkinson, former member of the Canadian women's soccer team, next. They're getting ready to kick off in Regina, the second game of the CFL season. Rough Riders home to the BC Lions. Last night, Winnipeg beating Hamilton 19-6. Kind of a, uh, well, not kind of, <laughs> sputtering offenses after a kind of explosive start to the game. Tomorrow, Toronto plays Calgary. Your Edmonton Elks take on the Ottawa Red Blacks. 8 o'clock at Commonwealth. Our coverage starts with the countdown to kickoff at 6. Now, the Elks have announced tonight that uh, no worries about the game. It will proceed as scheduled. Two players, including linebacker Brian Walker, in the COVID protocol. But the uh, Elks saying Saturday's game is not in jeopardy. You can go to 630Ched.com for more on the Elks and more on the Oilers. Their big story today, Darnell Nurse, huge contract extension, max term on the deal of eight years, and he gets a lot of money, $74 bucks. That'll be a cap, hat, a cap hit of $9.25 million per year. Remember, it starts next season. He's still going into the final year of his current deal with a cap hit of $5.6 million. Blue Jays get nine runs in the bottom of the fifth, now into the top of the sixth. And the Blue Jays lead the Boston Red Sox 9-4. And uh, one of the many amazing stories for Canada at the Olympics happened this morning. In penalty kicks, the Canadian women's soccer team 
wins gold over Sweden. It was 1-1 after extra time, and they win 3-2 on penalty kicks that went to six rounds. For perspective on that, a former player with the Canadian women's team, now a coach and a two-time Olympic bronze medalist herself, it is Rianne Wilkinson checking in on Inside Sports. Rianne, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. So what'd you do this morning? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I got up really early. I'm pretty jet-lagged. Just arrived back from England, and I went for a long walk, a lot of nervous energy, and, uh, yeah, it was a great morning. So when you take in a game like that as a spectator in a stage you've been on with athletes that you've had as teammates, how do you consume that game? I mean, what are you going through? Yeah, well, there's an added element with me. I was obviously the assistant coach for the opposition. So we played Canada in the um, in the round robin stage, in the group stage. So uh, that was an interesting piece where a lot of my best friends are still on the team or on the staff, um, but we're competitors first. So going from competitor to unfortunately getting eliminated in the quarterfinals and then uh, being a fan again and just a, a huge, huge um supporter of these women and what and what they're doing to to change the landscape of sport in Canada. Well, I like how you put that change the landscape of sport in Canada and we can go back to the 80s and 90s. I mean, in the 80s there was no women's world cup. Um Canada wasn't in uh the Olympics in soccer till I think but oh, was it 04 08 was the first appearance and then you know it kind of yeah. ramps up from there and now i mean the landscape has has changed and you and you see that the tweets and the stories today i played because of seeing those matches in 02 in edmonton or seeing christine sinclair or wilkinson do stuff like this like it is pretty amazing it is and you know what i've really enjoyed is these women will speak more when they wake up tomorrow obviously it was a very late night for them they're very articulate articulate about the women that came before them and the incredible work that's been done around the game to make sure that um, it continues to grow in Canada. It is a huge participation sport for us in Canada. I think we're the second highest participation uh, in the world. And then we have no low league for them to play in. So these women that we watch at the Olympics, Olympic champions all play abroad. They all are developed in other countries and huge testament to Bev Priestman, her staff, and to Canada Soccer for finding a way because during the pandemic, they were not able to meet in Canada at all. And that's what they've had to deal with and that connection that they showed to, to find a way. It's it's a, a common thread throughout our programs. And again, to Canada Soccer, hiring the right people that continue that Canadian DNA of never say die. We see it on the men's side now and that incredible showing in the Gold Cup. And this is what you see on the women's side. It's not always, you know, the prettiest soccer. It's not always the best plays, but my goodness, their determination, their heart and their connection are untouched in the world game. Well, and that, and that showed today because the first half could have gone better. I think it's fair to say. And then, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sweden had a kick to win the gold medal. I mean, Canada yeah. got, got behind in the shootout and, and they persevered. And I, and I want to ask you about the penalty kicks. Yeah. And, and, it was interesting watching that because there were a couple misses. There were a couple great saves. And I know it's easy for me to say sitting on my couch, but there were a couple shots where both ways where I thought, man, was that nerves where they just didn't pick their spot and, and hit it. Like what's going through a shooter's mind when they're stepping up in that situation? 
you cannot prepare for penalties until you're in penalties in a huge event like that. So you train them, you know, almost every day at practice. Sometimes you get noise machines in to try and simulate a crowd. But that pressure, that long walk from half, that feeling on your own, it's really, really hard to prepare for. And I thought Labe was incredible. Not Obviously, the saves are, are clear, but the games she was playing, like, I know it looks rude, but how she didn't pass the ball to the opposition, how she just waited, made them wait for her, the sort of waving the arms one side to the other, uh, the Swedish goalkeeper as well. These are these are little things that you try and do to just put someone off a little bit. And there was not just the high pr the pressure of the moment. There was extreme heat today in Tokyo. Obviously, the game was moved time-wise, but I believe it was one of the hottest days of the tournament. Um, new stadium, they moved the stadium as well after playing a full game plus the extra time we're talking about. I, I mean, Canada was dead on their feet at the end of that game. So were Sweden. Um, so yeah, the, 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 obviously the shots weren't of the highest quality, but that's that's the penalties. That is what happens is people are on their last legs trying to win themselves an Olympic championship. You got huge pressures and that's what we saw in that penalty shootout. Rianne Wilkinson joining us in Insights Force as we talk about the Canadian women winning soccer gold in Tokyo. And of course, you have two bronze medals in your possession from some excellent performances in tournaments. Um, uh, and, I know, and I know you've gone into coaching now, but how do you, do you look back on your legacy and your impact on, on some of the players we saw today? You know, how do you sort of process everything you went through and contributed to Canada's growth? Yeah, I think legacy is a, is a good word. Uh, John Herdman arrived in 2011, just before the 2012 Olympics, and he essentially asked, he's like, what do you want from this game? You've already given a decade. What are you planning on doing? Is it just, are you just going to ride it out till you retire? Or do you actually want to make significant change in the sport? And it really, we reimagined what we wanted to do with the game. Um, and we talked about leaving a legacy. We talked about changing the sport. And in the next few days, I, I can guarantee you're going to hear from a lot of the team that just won gold today, especially the veteran players. And they're going to talk about legacy and how we need to change the way the game is played in Canada. We've got to start supporting our athletes. Uh, we've got to give them a place to play at home like we've done for the men. And, and huge congratulations to get the CPL up and running, especially through COVID. We need to do it for our, our young girls too. And if we're not doing it in soccer, what hope do we have for the smaller sports? The lesser followed sports i mean we expect a lot from our athletes in canada as we should but we've got to back that and it's got to look like a long-term process and not a single year where we try and throw money at it we've got to build this because the other countries i live in england now i work in england um, i'm canadian through and through but i work abroad i see the investments being made in europe being made in south american leagues being made in asia canada has punched above its weight almost every year I played and now with three Olympic medals now just gold in the pocket we've got to not just talk about this being the year that things change we have to make it happen we've got to use this moment and if you talk about legacy I can guarantee you'll hear this message from a lot of veteran players in the next few days hoping that the what they've given to the sport actually delivers more than just a medal but a lasting change on the landscape here. Yeah, well, I love how you put that, and I, I hear that from Olympians in a variety of sports. Like, it's it's cool people sort of care or provide funding, you know, in that ramp-up to the games, and then sometimes things, you know, drop off once they're over. So I, I, I love how you put that for sure. Uh, Christine Sinclair, 
Uh, I mean, what? Well, I'll, I'll ask you this because we've all seen her score goals. What was she like as a teammate? Um, I'll talk to about her as a friend first. I mean, she's genuinely what you see. She's a quiet leader who will do anything for her team. And I don't think we see too many people of her caliber like that. She never looks for the limelight. She really, she barely uses social media. She's not interested in going out to search for sponsors, which drives me nuts as her friend, because you look at this woman who is, you know, being a pinnacle for sport for two decades has broken all these records. You know, you've got Abby Wambach tweeting about her Americans supporting her and encouraging her for that gold. Like that's how loved she is. And she just goes about her business. The only thing she cares about is her team and getting better every day herself. So people want to retire her. They talk about this is, you know, great time for her to retire. It's none of our business. That woman will stop playing when she feels she stops developing and she might be slower than she was, but she never loses the ball. She is the heartbeat of the team. And, and you know, it really is a privilege to know her because she really is the face of sport for Canada for the last few decades, I would say. We've had Gretzky, we've had, these incredible basketball players come through on the men's side. We've got Haley Wickenheiser. We've had these iconic women. Sinky's right up there. She is incredible, and she just never says anything. And it really drives me nuts as her friend. I really wish in some ways that we could see more of her on posters, see more of her selling cars. And like, This woman should be known by everyone uh, because of what she's done for the game for so many years. Incredible. Yeah. Well, if you talk to her, tell her real have her on inside sports anytime she wants to come on okay I got, I, th- thanks for uh, taking us through that and and your experience and your reaction to everything I, I love how you how you outline everything and i think it's important for fans to hear that i do have a question i ask pretty much everybody who's ever won an olympic medal or medals uh, okay. if if you're able to share where are yours and how often do you bring them out to show to people or share with people yeah, I actually just, I do know, I don't always know where they are because I commute between my house in Vancouver, my new house in England, or if I'm staying at either my father's in Toronto or my mother's in Montreal, <laughs> depending on the events, I try and bring them with me as much as I can because I remember the moment someone put an Olympic medal in my hand and made it real. And it is a one of my life's greatest privileges that I'm able to do that for young people now. Um, they are in the UK right now. They're in some socks the easiest way to travel them is in socks wrapped up um the cases got uh, pretty beat up over the years so i just travel with them in socks uh but usually i have them in a drawer somewhere in the house just sort of hanging around i make them as accessible as possible because they're meant to be seen and held and they're not meant for cases because they're they're inspiring pieces of hardware that don't mean anything unless unless someone can feel the passion that comes from it and and the the culmination of the dream is is what they are and to share that with others is the best part of them all right well we we learned a lot in this interview including some (laughs) new uses for socks brianne thank you for everything you contributed to canada as a player thank you for your perspective on today's gold medal and all the best as you now pursue a coaching career my pleasure thank you so much for the support for these women i appreciate it Right on. Brianne Wilkinson, man, what a great speaker, great perspective there. Two-time bronze medalist with the Canadian women's soccer team, now uh, a coach on the English staff, flew back to Canada, watched the game today, and tells you about Christine Sinclair, about how we keep this momentum going, and uh, 
keeping your Olympic medals in socks. So there you go, everybody. When you win an Olympic medal, you know where to store them. As we were doing that interview, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders take the opening kickoff, go on a drive that lasts almost six minutes, and they get a touchdown from two yards out, a run by William Powell. Extra point is good. Saskatchewan 7, BC nothing in Friday night football. It's 747. It's Inside Sports on Ched. Michael Riley and the BC Lions offense taking to the field now after Saskatchewan gets a touchdown on its opening drive. It is the player who, through the uh, first part of his CFL career when he played here in Edmonton, was known as Mike Riley. He is asked to now be referred to as Michael Riley. You may have heard that, unfortunately, his mother passed away in the offseason, and she always called him Michael. So he's decided that is how uh, I want to be known from this point forward. So it's quarterback Michael Riley leading the BC Lions offense onto the field. Elks and Red Blacks tomorrow at 8. Our coverage starts at 6 here on 6.30. Ched, a transition for the Elks this season. No more printed tickets. It's mobile ticketing. You use your phone. I've uh, heard a lot of questions about this. I've got messages from fans and listeners. What am I supposed to do if I need help? Well, here's team president Chris Presson on moving to mobile tickets. Yeah, we're uh, one of eight other teams in our league who have gone to mobile ticketing. So the whole league is doing it. Uh, We're not alone. And truth be told, we're about five years behind the curve. Um, It's hard to find a team anywhere in North America or a league anywhere in North America that isn't using mobile ticketing. So I, I think everybody needs to understand we actually are behind uh, compared to other teams. As it relates to the to the hard ticket, we understand that some people aren't technologically savvy. I would be one of those individuals. But once you learn how to use it, and we've sent all of our season seat holders a video, it actually makes your transfer time much more efficient. If you want to transfer tickets, which a lot of our members do, there's a transfer button on your phone. So that part of it's easy. In terms of how have fans reacted to it, 92 to 93% have seen it as a very positive move, no complaints. Another 5% has just said, show me how to use it. And the remaining 2 or 3% are a little unhappy. And that's okay because that's the people that we've actually made separate arrangements with to make sure that they feel good about getting in. If you show up to the game, you still haven't downloaded your tickets onto your phone, you don't know how to do it, we'll have 100 additional people outside the gates to help walk you through that because we don't want to create a frustrating experience. Again, a part of this move is to create more efficiency when you're coming into the stadium. Same same thing with clear bags. It actually, at the end of the day, is a more efficient process because someone can see directly into your bag and they don't have to go digging. All right, so there's a little bit of update about getting into the stadium tomorrow. And I got a development here for you. Michael Riley's not playing quarterback for the BC Lions. Nathan Rourke starts the game. Starts the game with a handoff, and now it's second and eight for the Lions. And uh, Davis Sanchez from TSN posted this on Twitter a few minutes ago as uh, Rourke with a throw that's going to come up a couple yards short of the first down for the Lions. Sanchez wrote this, Riley not throwing the ball deep in pregame, coupled by the shot we had of a team doctor in his ear right before kickoff. Safe assumption something is acting up with his elbow or anything needed to help the pain. So... He doesn't start, and apparently Riley looked uh, a little uncomfortable during the warm-ups for this game. 
So that is uh, a big development and further advantage for Saskatchewan, who would have been favored in this game. Anyway, uh, Mike O'Reilly, not at least maybe he's well enough to play later in the game. I, I don't know, but he stayed on the sideline and Nathan Rourke took the first two snaps. So there is the update from, uh, from Saskatchewan. Yeah, it was interesting. We, you know, we, uh, Rianne uh, Wilkinson was on the show, talked about the penalty kicks in the uh, women's gold medal soccer match. Stephanie Labe from Edmonton, the goaltender from Canada was grinning while she's on the line, getting ready for the shot. She was, kind of walked out towards the Swedish players as they were getting ready to shoot and had to be told to get back in her net. Clearly some mind games going on there. And, you know, we saw the Euro final be decided in penalty kicks. It's it's not always the most comfortable way to decide a game. It's dramatic. It's exciting. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I guess you can't really play forever. I, I was talking to Janine Helland, an Edmontonian who also used to play for the Canadian women's team, and I uh, asked her her opinion on penalty kicks deciding big games. I live with it. I don't necessarily like it, but I also don't think I wish they'd do anything else. I had this conversation actually not that long ago um, with some friends of ours that aren't soccer people, and they're like, I don't get it. Like, just like you said, why don't you just play till you win? And it's like, Soccer is probably one of the most historically um, accurate games. And this is my belief is that if you play soccer anywhere in the world, the rules are going to be the same. It's going to be, you know, the offside rule when it gets changed um, at the international level, it gets changed down at the U12 level, right? Wherever offsides start. Um, it's just that's the game and that's the way it's played and that's the way it's always been played. There's a historical factor to it in the sense that I assume it's because when you used to play back in the day before we had lights, you can't just keep playing until somebody wins because it could be dark. It, you know, you could lose all the light. You don't want to play a game the next day. Um, so you had to have a way to end the game. And as much as it sucks to lose by penalties, it can be just as, a, you know, as exciting to win by penalties. So I actually don't mind penalty kicks. I absolutely hate them when I'm in the in in the moment because it's probably one of the most stressful. Um, I think, uh, I guess, plays or whatever times you're going to have in your life. But I mean, you look at Julia Grasso, who steps up at 20 years old. That's part of the game, and she's got a job to do, and she did it. So yeah, I'm okay with it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I just, I guess, I accept it. Well, it's probably how a lot of people feel about it. And Canadians are fine with it today because we got the gold medal. What a day. What a show, man. We had Darnell Nurse on. Get the full story there on 630Ched.com. New contract extension for him. It'll start next summer. Eight years. Max length, $9.25 million per season. Donovan Bailey was on the show. Dave Campbell with the latest on the Elks COVID situation. Couple Elks players, including Brian Walker, in COVID protocol. But the game will proceed tomorrow. 8 o'clock kickoff, countdown to kickoff here on 6.30. Ched will start at 6. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of the show. Cody Jansen, your studio operator this evening. My name's Reed. Have a great weekend. 6.30. Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30. Ched.